I don't specifically recommend the book, just the title. If I tell you the title, you'll basically have read this book. The book <laughs> is When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. Oof. Wow. Yeah, fair. Hey, Gina. Paul? I feel that, first of all, we should just acknowledge the world's a disaster as we're recording this, but we're going to plow through as if the world is not a disaster. I'm glad you said that because I'm distracted. We're all a little bit distracted. We're all distracted. And we're also all three people who fully acknowledge that while today and this weekend is particularly bad, these problems are the result of deep structural inequities in our world. And like... It's a rough week, but that's because it's been a rough couple hundred years. And so I'm literally setting a, a calendar alert for like check in on things in the future so that I don't get distracted six weeks from now when things are kind of getting back to normal. Right. And forget. So look, we have someone on the program today who is a delightful human being who you and I have both gotten to know. So that that is one thing. But this is someone who is an expert in putting things into the sky. The miracle of flight. Yeah. And I mean, this is to me, because this is the last mile problem, right? Like if you could deliver little things by drone, mm-hmm. you could really mess with how the world works because then the robots can do everything. I'm already getting all sci-fi, but it's great to have someone on the program who doesn't just think about data packets moving through networks, but actually thinks about rotors spinning in space. Physical so, things flying so through space. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast, Star Simpson, the CEO of Theircraft. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. What is Theircraft and what are you doing all day, Star? What are you doing? Theircraft builds autonomous aerial vehicles. That's the jargon, excessively long way to say drone, as most people think of it. I'm going to throw this out here right away. When I say drone, like 99 times out of 100, people imagine like little like camera carrying drones. But we build all kinds of like unusual looking aircraft that look nothing like what you'd imagine to do stuff. Right, so oh, we, that's yeah, good. So not the Black Mirror episode where the drone is do- <laughs> no, but filming you. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. We, we really don't do that because it's like it's pretty well covered by like existing drones. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think there's really, there's the little ones with the with the cameras, and then there's the bad ones. <laughs> there's two drones <laughs> that, that we No, but about. then there's that stars is, drones. Tell us about your drone stars. Yes. Yeah, so that extremely covers the, like, public mindshare of existing autonomous aircraft. We do stuff that, like, probably hasn't really bubbled up into, like, you know, public discussion so far, except for now on your podcast. You know, for example, we work with first responders, Right who have a really kind of, let's say, like unusual needs around needing stuff moved. First responders in, you know, wildland context, right? So people who are going out to rescue somebody who may have fallen or may be feeling, you know, some sort of pain and needs help or something like that out in the wilderness, right? And so people, you know, these responders are going out somewhere that's not like, it's not a bus stop. It's not a popular location for like vehicles to typically go. In fact, usually, you know, if someone needs help, they're like, they're out somewhere, right? So they have to figure out where that is. And so, you know, this is a site that's underserved by logistics and it's always a a new target, right? It's not a fixed location. So someone goes out hiking and gets lost and is in trouble. 
What can you do for them? I mean, solve that problem for me. What are you doing? Yeah, so here's the tricky part. You know, let's say that this person is in a, you know, they're fixed in place and the rescuers are like on route to get to them. And here's the trick. We are not actually usually sending something to the lost person for a variety of reasons. But for, you know, for one thing, you don't know exactly where they are, let's say. For two, if it's a person in distress, you know, you could get something very near them and still not really help them. And you don't want to do that. So what we want to do is actually enable the first responders to do their jobs better. They're on the way. They're trying to find the person. They're going to get there. They're going to get to the person. And what we can do is, you know, if there's, you know, only a, like a hiking trail to get to them, first responders are, are carrying a lot of gear and equipment. It's heavy. It's, you know, 100 pound packs, right? You can cover ground a lot more quickly if you're not carrying a lot, you know, of heavy weight like that. So if we can stage the equipment near to the rescue site, we enable first responders to get to the rescue more quickly. Gotcha. So they're carrying a little ambulance on their backs, essentially. Exactly. Yes. So tell us about these drones. And I don't know what you can tell us at this moment, right? But what do they look like? Are they, are there photos? Oh my goodness. I love that you guys are asking this. I'm so happy. We just launched and I finally can talk about all this. Excellent. <laughs> Yay. Uh, theircraft.com, the company site, which is very sparse because I'm a very busy lady, currently has kind of an illustration of our drone and how it works. And so we do something quite unusual for most of the drone sphere. Not all of it, but we have made a couple of really strong technical choices. A lot of what you'll see out there for drones, and again, this is sort of like the popular image, is something that can hover. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to try and like inject into this a little bit of like our thinking about sort of, I don't mean literal cost, but sort of engineering cost. Mm -hmm. When I talk about hover being really expensive, it uses a lot of energy to get a vehicle to like kind of stay in a fixed place. You, you pay extra for that. And so we've decided that in order to kind of like move quickly and make something that actually works really well, that we were going to do what's depicted on the website, which is our vehicle, which carries more stuff for its size than anything. You know, it kind of maximizes that. And then in order to keep that, you know, weight dedicated for stuff people need and not extra propellers, we don't hover, we, we do a swoop. I love the idea. I mean, it right. makes a ton, a ton of sense that hovering costs more and is harder, right? It's a helicopter versus an airplane. How much stuff can it carry right now? Like, what, what are we talking about? So let's talk about mass fraction. Can I, like, talk about that term? Hell yeah. Yes. That's why we're cool. here. All right. Awesome. So the aircraft design is created with the idea of maximizing the amount of stuff it can carry compared to how much it weighs. Right. Okay. So what that means is that the efficiency of the whole trip is really dedicated to the stuff and not to like hauling airplane around. So, mm -hmm. you know, you might talk about mass, but this is sort of like as a proportion of the total aircraft weight. And there's a golden number in aircraft design. Usually it's pretty hard to get an aircraft to carry as much as it weighs. Right. Which would be 50 percent mass fraction. Half of the total airplane when it's loaded is mm -hmm. payload. This design actually meets that. It can carry what it weighs itself. Right. So wow. typically, just to restate, so typically an airplane is mostly airplane. Even if it's a cargo plane and you have filled it up, it's still mostly airplane and not... It's mostly airplane, fuel, stuff, structure, making the wings really strong, stuff like that. And, and extremely non-disposable, right? Like extremely tough and designed to 
withstand all kinds of things because there are people piloting it. And so there's all sorts of decisions that you have to make because there's bodies involved. To be clear, we do not trade off on any of that sort of like structural goodness. When you look at the picture on our site, what you'll see is we've actually pulled the wings in and kind of merged them with the body of the plane. So the whole thing is a really tough wing. Oh, it's mm-hmm. one big wing. Yeah, that's neat. And there's got the three wheels there. And obviously there's not a, a pilot. So so these things carry as much weight as they weigh. That's amazing. A 50-50 ratio is like actually much higher than I would have expected. It's really good. And, and the reason I'm approaching answering your question, which was how much does it carry this way, is this aircraft scales from you know, something that carries maybe a single radio to drop off for, you know, a first responder up to hundreds of pounds of gear and the same design scales up and down and we can fit it to what's needed and still maintain that 50% mass racking. It's a platform. You're building a platform for dropping stuff off in a hurry. So now how digital is this thing? Like what's, what's inside that? I mean, that you can, again, that you can tell us about, you know, couple raspberry pies i I don't know like how how do you how do you how do you tell the drone let me actually even before we get to the hardware how do you tell the drone what to do right yes i love this question so how digital is it the you know way we work with first responders well first of all you know they know everything about what they need and so Mm -hmm. we will drop off the items at a site where they'll be expecting it which is selected And I'm fortunate because at least in the early stages, we get to do deliveries into areas that are like known to be clear, wide open. And so, you know, we're free to do the swoop maneuver with no concern, sort of pre-calculating in advance or anything like that. So relatively flat. And and we have plans for when that's not true. Yeah. So are are you using like, is it lat long or is there something different? Like what, how do you say go here? Yeah, I've learned a new term, which is, uh, you know, delivery on coordinate, mm-hmm. like the name of the system. So, yes, mm-hmm. GPS, altitude, of course, and then, you know, sensors on board for doing, you know, extra detection. And then are you taking, is there a lot of, lot going on about the velocity of the vehicle at the, and, and sort of at the time of drop-off? Like, how do you factor in wind and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, several answers to that. Uh, we factor in wind. There's a wind airspeed sensor on board. And you can actually calculate by looking at the amount of power you're expending and the direction you're going and like how well you're making progress over the ground. You can actually use that to compute what the wind's doing, hmm. right? Oh, so you know, like wind speed and direction. And here's something that I'm really proud of this vehicle. Okay. So I'm going to let you in in kind of a secret. A lot of times drone companies launch and you see this like amazing, like, you know, eye-watering rendering of like some putative future aircraft. So we turned that on its head and the illustration on our site is actually a sketch based on our actual like flight track. It's frames from a video. So we've sort of taken reality and like cartoonified it for this case. At the slowest point, right, when it's doing that drop off, it's actually going no faster than you could ride a bicycle, which is again fairly impressive for something that flies. Huh. Mm-hmm. What's the trade-off with a swoop? Like, do you have to like? So I know it's less expensive because you're not hovering, but like, does it have to happen? Like, how do trees factor in, or like, do you have to find a field, or mm-hmm. or like, what is like the space? It has to be the right space for this kind of drop-off, right? Yeah, I mean, this is step one, and it meets the conditions of the environment that our customers are working in. This is not like the last drone design we're ever going to do or anything like that, but this mm-hmm. is just. This is perfectly meets the mission as described by the people who want it. 
let's say that there's a situation where there's like a thick forest or something, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. you don't still have to swoop. You have a couple of other options. Like you can still get the payload delivered and through the magic of like packaging because we're talking about first responder equipment, right? Mm -hmm. It's possible to actually like bundle it up in a way where it's like still going to be safely delivered, right? That's how that works. Does the drone know where to drop off or like where's the compute? Is the compute on the drone or is it like back at headquarters? Some of both. I could really get deep on philosophy about like where compute needs to be when for like things to work. You know, for me, it's interesting that that that's even a debate, right? Like, I don't even know. So this this is a big subject in drone world, which is how smart the drone should be. Oh, I don't know if it is in drone world. It is within the company. Well, that's drone world. You're in drone (laughs) world. It's my drone world. Yes. When you automate things the way it works always changes every single time. There's not like mm. a machine that mimics a human. Well, I mean, maybe there will be one day. We haven't done it yet. It, and I think it's worth, it's close enough to being reliable as a law to, to lean on that way when you automate things, the way it works changes. So, you know, a human pilot is doing a lot of the decision-making. We call that computation on board and like live spontaneously. When you have an autonomous vehicle, you know, obviously you, the person with like the intent or the desire for the thing to be done are in a location and your location is not where the drone is. And so you have really, you have three options, which are, you know, kind of the basic one, which is like remote control, right? So like you're standing where you are and you've got like sticks or a joystick or a screen or something, right? And you're like, now go here, now do this. And this works for like close in where you can see what's going on and you can react pretty quickly or where you have really, really good data links so that, you know, it's almost like you're really there, right? You have to have one of those. The trick for working with first responders is it's not just that they go to difficult terrain. They also tend to go to places where like not served by telecoms. So what you want to do in that case, the direction we've gone on that, is you want to have this thing literally be autonomous, right? You want it to be able to perform its mission with an acknowledgement that communication link may may be flaky. That said, you always want to be able to monitor. You want to know what's going on, Mm -hmm. right? So you you absolutely like, you know, satellite link, you know, whatever it takes really is is what you have to do. You get back the location information, position info, like richly as, you know, all the data you could want. Right, because you just can't have your drone be like, going into a tunnel, talk to you in a minute. No way. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah. That won't fly if I could. Say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so one day I remember you were just like, I'm, you tweeted out like, going to LA and working on drones. I mean, not quite in those words, but like, so tell us a little bit about like, what were you doing in the Bay Area? And then what made you move to LA to work on drones? And how has that gone? What have you learned? Oh my goodness. I've learned yeah. so much. It's just been personally really rich last couple of years, specifically because of who I get to work with. So I moved to Los Angeles for one, because LA has enormous aerospace activity. You know, I, I don't think this was my first impression of Los Angeles, but it's something I've become very aware of. Los Angeles has built a lot of airplanes, both, you know, like secret ones, I guess, and, you know, airliners. You know, I, I didn't know this, but Lockheed built the uh, passenger airline, the, the L-1011, you know, going way back. Amelia Earhart used to fly out of Burbank. Hmm. Um, so oh, all this I've, I've cool. learned. And uh, yeah, one of the coolest things is I get to work with this unbelievably great aircraft designer. And he's he's shipped, I think, like 27 airplanes so far. So anyone with that much experience, like you learn so much. It's great. 
that mean that is just yeah no i understand that is that is fantastic okay so you are you're um, a pilot right star do you fly i am a pilot yes nice i tend to fly personally this is like i started i started to learn to fly gliders actually mostly because i wanted to get a better you know training on the streets for aerodynamics because you know it was obviously very relevant i studied electrical engineering which uh, electrical engineers, I, I joke, think that like load doesn't have any mass. That's a super deep engineer joke. I'm sorry, but like, you know, like it's just so far outside of like touching the world in general that like I, I was like, oh, I'll just take one lesson and that'll give me like a better sense of touch at the fingertips. This was years ago. And I really liked it. I ended up completing the training course to fly uh, gliders, which are really long winged planes that just don't have an engine on board. They just sort of float around. Wait, how does that work? I mean, just like this, like flat out, don't understand how that works. You go up and you are in your glider, and then what happens? Yeah, so a lot happens that's interesting, even in the going up part. So typically, the way we do it in the U.S. it's different in Europe. The way we do it in U.S. in the U.S. is you get like a really like a muscle plane, like not a muscle car, but like a really beefy airplane, like a crop dusting plane, right? They have, mm-hmm. they have big engines and they're designed to carry, you know, a heavy amount of stuff. And you take that airplane, you get a pilot to hook up like a cable to the glider. And then okay. the airplane takes off and then the glider takes off behind it. You're kind of like a kite on the end of the string for that part. And then, you know, a short time later, because, you know, fuel is pretty expensive, the glider releases and then it's just sort of floating. And okay. because of the long wings and the weight, the glider is actually able to rise in the air depending on if you can find like upward going air current. Mm-hmm. And there's enough sort of energy in the air. And I mean that in like a physics way due to like solar radiation that you can get like thermals that like birds soar on. And that will, that's enough to actually keep you in the air or even take the plane up, you know, higher than where it is. So cool. Wait, oh so my from, God, so from cool. San Francisco to LA, you can do that. <laughs> I mean, People have done that. They're using a slightly different type of lift, right? Upward going air lift. They usually look, I think for days where there's a like wind from the East that mm. ripples over the Sierras and on the, you know, windward side of the mountain, the air is going up because it, you know, it can't go through the yes. mountain. It has to go upward. And so the, the glider can sort of go along the mountain yeah. ridge as like, that's like, that's your highway. All right. So you glowed on down. <laughs> <laughs> In my four wheeled car on the I-5 several times. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is a transition, right? So you've gone from someone who really was a you know, you're a double E and you are thinking about Boolean logic and all the regular shenanigans that, that come with computers. Right. And yep. things. At what point did you make a transition and go like, I'm going to, because I've noticed this is a, you know, disclosure, right? Like I came in, I, I saw you at your last job, which was like a toy factory of cool digital things and that <laughs> were being made very, very physically. Like what brought you into the real world as opposed to the like pure software <laughs> Well, partly happenstance. And yeah, you got to visit me when I was working at Other Lab, where I worked on a few other fairly large research UAVs or UASs. So many acronyms. It's the worst. Um, it's, unmanned it's okay. Aerial we're, all, we're, we're there too. So at Other Lab, we built a bunch of very different autonomous vehicles that all flew. We built some cargo delivery gliders that were designed to be, you know, released at a great altitude and like bring something to someone in a very remote place, very different than what we're doing now. 
they were also one-time use, right? So it was sort of like we had to use all these like unusual materials and it was very sci-fi in that way. So we built like several aircraft kind of simultaneously. It was really a rush of a job, a rush in like an excitement way, not a, not a, not a slapdash one, but a like exciting one. You know, other lab kind of does like large scale engineering R&D. They do robotics, they do, you know, all kinds of things. And so one of the other autonomous vehicles we built was a fairly large helicopter designed to stay in the air like permanently, you know, to be like a kind of off-field radio communication tower. Cause it's very hard to set up like a tall tower if you need to relay cell signals where there's no signal or, you know, whatnot. And so now you're making things and then you're, you've decided it's drone time for real now. I'm going to LA. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was drone time then. Yeah. Yes. Star, here's the thing. Our, our audience, you know, it's not like we do surveys, but I'm going to bet that they're mostly oriented around programming web technologies and, and making things and building software and getting mobile apps out. Like, that's most of what we talk about, right? So mm-hmm. let's say, and I mean, look, God knows, the minute a nerd gets some money in their pocket, they go and they get one of those drones with the cameras. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. just part it's, of it. It's part of it. But let's go past that. Let's go past the part where you just buy gadgets in order to feel connected to things. What should people read and learn? Like, where would you, if you could design a curriculum? Because I've noticed, like, I remember you did Circuit Classics, which was old sort of breadboards that you could sort of get in touch with classic circuits and, and understand a little bit about the physical world. Where would you start people in order to start thinking more intelligently? And I don't even want to say Internet of Things. Like, this is not an IoT device. It's a first responder, you know, medicine delivery system and, and, mm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? So teach us, Star. <laughs> Tell us. Sure. Gina, Gina and I need to understand more about how the world works aside from our rinky-dink computers. Where do we go? As you know, I didn't come into this by some sort of like childhood obsession. I've kind of learned a lot about aerodynamics and it's very cool and a lot is right in front of your eyes, but it's also kind of hard to, to notice. And I think that the best thing for me about the journey I've been on is becoming aware of the air that lands at all. It's so everywhere, right? You know, mm-hmm. how do you talk to a fish about water? Well, I think that the question I asked myself and actually talked to the aerodynamicist I work with too and asked the question, when did you first become aware of the air? And I'll give you his answer, which I adored, which is he sort of thought back and says, you know, being a kid and kind of like sticking your hand out the window, you know, yeah. and that feeling mm-hmm. of pressure on your hand and you can feel that there's something there, right? That's right. It's and not unless you're going fast. That's not there, right? So yeah. some- I don't. I'm not recommending doing this, of course. But uh, if you've ever sort of felt, you know, the air scooping into your car with the window open, or like, you know, dragged a fingertip across that area, you can you can feel that the air is like flowing. Truly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that really put me into a different mind, which is sort of like, you know, as you mentioned, biking or driving my car. Right? You come to be aware that the air is flowing around you. That there is, you know, kind of a wave on the front side of your vehicle, or you know, pressing on your helmet as you're as you're moving along, and then you know, behind you is making a tunnel through the air, and the air is filling it in behind you as you go too. So really thinking that way. And so how, when do I have to do the horrible math that I associate with everything related to aerodynamics? Oh, my goodness. I also associate aerodynamics with all that horrible math. And I have great help with that. It's fantastic. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you about doing horrible math, Paul. 
good, good CEOs it. find good help. That's what good this CEOs is a good do. Good point. <laughs> Delegate the math. So this is this is brilliant. Well, I mean, look. Star's got tremendous credibility in one field, right? And so then, then she delegates some of the awful things to someone who's really good at them. Yeah. But yeah, she still you, has credibility. Yeah, this is really just, this more is, than that. I've I've become I've become aware that when you're very very good, as not me, but you know people I get to work with, you can actually sort of pick and choose, and you know what numbers are going to matter a lot. Isn't that wild? Well, you know, the hardest part is figuring out. There's so much lore. In every field, there's so much kind of like that you take for granted. And that's one of the reasons I asked you that question, right? It's like when you're interested in something, and I think the internet makes it kind of easy. Like you go and you're like, oh, I read the Wikipedia page. And then there's that point where you're like, I should read a book about this. And then frankly, a lot of times I just get stymied because there's never one book. There's 5,000. And there's, there's always like 12 different right ways to learn something. And the right answer is probably just go take a college course. But that's, that's just like, I'm not wired to do that. Paul, you uh, and I are in exactly the same boat. And aerodynamics is such a new field. You know, it's really only in the last, you know, it's relatively young as engineering fields go, not software, obviously, but it's so fresh. A lot of the really important, here's what really matters type of views still are in the heads of people doing the work. Right. Um, I don't know if there's a great book out there. I wish there were. I picked up a few myself and, you know, just sort of bringing them in front of the people I, you know, work with to sort of said, like, how do I make sense of this book? Like, I, like, I just laid down, like, middle of the book, pages of calculus. Of, like, what am I looking at here? And the answer was like, oh, my, you know, I've looked at this, but, like, you know, that's not how I think. Right. And they're like, Star, what are you, what are you doing with that book? Come on. That's, like, I guess the- you could do the calculus. Sure, you know. Yeah, but that's not that's not what we do all day, right? Yeah, I know it's really surreal because it's sort of you want there to be something between the like the four year degree and knowing absolutely nothing, <laughs> and a lot of times there, sure. there isn't. Like those disciplines are disciplines. They're like, no, no, you got to do the work. Most of what I've learned, I've learned through working elbow to elbow with people. To go way back to the beginning, my first summer internship type job was at a company called McConney Power, which was doing clean wind energy with like massive flying wings. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, why did you end up working there? It's because I was an electrical engineer and I thought that like big kilowatt type power systems were really neat. And I had no clue about anything flying, but they had people who designed wings working there and I'd sort of just like what are who are these people you know like that's how my curiosity got started that was my first taste of building something designed to actually fly you know and went basically from there to here. So talk a little bit about your CEO responsibilities and I'm really interested in what you're saying here which is that you're not the subject matter expert right you're the boss and you don't know as much as the people who are working with you. How do you put it this way I have a I have a really good working understanding of aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. I can kind of size and like get to a pretty reasonable understanding. I'm not going to pick up like what the exact solution is to like uh, shedding Carmen's tree off the like left wing tip or something, you know, thing like that. That's not the probably the thing I should be asked to do, but I get mm-hmm. what it means. And I do also, you know, as far as my personal CEO job goes, there's this stock image I really love, which is kind of like a woman in a business suit carrying one of those like single person bands with like the big kick drum on her back and like an accordion mm-hmm. and like, you know, well, you know what I mean? Like, I can tell you guys know what I'm talking about. Sure, yes. sure. Um, you know, so like I bring to bear like electrical engineering, the ability to set up processes to like assemble our physical vehicles, BizDev, talking to customers, working with the regulatory environment applying for, you know, various 
contests, things like that, that we should enter our vehicles into. And so I really love the job. And, talking and talking and talking to human beings. Yeah. Knowing enough about all the pieces I, like, to have the whole vision I, in your head I, and the team to fill it in. Yeah. Look, it's startup days. You're, you're, it's a small org, right? Like where, and you're just shipping. What, what do you call this? Is this the alpha plane or like, what is the, is it the prototype? The name of it is Strax, S-T-R-A-X. Okay, so Strax. And what comes next? Do you keep iterating on Strax? Do you make bigger Straxes? What's your, what's your plan? Yeah, we are in the phase now mainly of working with customers, doing demonstrations and you know, making it fly, making it do the thing. It's really, really a good place and a good time because you know, we have shown the vehicle performs its full mission. Um, okay. And we get to do what, what comes next after that. So it's a very fun time. What do you need from the world? Like people listening, people getting in touch. What are you looking for out there? I mean, we are in the very early stages. We're growing. And I think what, we, what we've accomplished so far is very impressive for, you know, how long we've been working on it and what we've been working with. Like we've gotten quite far and quite quickly. I think what I would like people to realize is this. The top question I get asked is, Honestly, when are drones going to bring me, you know, X, my taco, right? That's California, mm-hmm. very typical. And what I want people to know is this. It's all possible today, right now. The thing that we need to figure out together, the FAA, society, you know, people, is where to begin to allow the future, this technology, to take hold. Um, because the reason why most people don't, have their taco at the snap of a finger by drone is because, you know, in the United States, FAA restrictions. And I think we've moved very slowly on creating even a site where you could begin to experiment with that as a business. So that's the thing that I hope for. That's the thing that I most want to see. So people should think about drones, not as a delivery mechanism for their package or their taco, but like what are, what are the best use cases? Yeah, the, the popular mind you know, outlook on drones is very personal, yeah. but I think that aircraft are likely to serve businesses first in the same way that like, you know, DHL and FedEx typically mostly work with businesses and only occasionally do they bring something to your house, right? Drones will, will do the same. All aircraft have in history because it just takes more resources to put something in the air than it does to bring you, you know, your groceries or whatever it is. So we're going to reframe our thinking about the ecosystem of drones. And well, okay, so here's the here's the last question I have, which is, is there like a magic number that people talk about where the cost of delivery, like, is there some sort of goal that everyone shares as to how much it should cost and what it should take to get a pound of something to somewhere like or or is it really specific to the situation? Oh, yeah. I love this question because that's, as you know, you discussed about my job as you know, CEO, that's kind of actually the, the heart of it is, you know, what does it cost to go a certain distance in a certain amount of time per pound? And there's a really neat rule of thumb that makes perfect sense to me, having thought about it a little bit, which is if the item you need moved is urgent, where on average over however many miles, whether it's, you know, one mile or a thousand miles, if it needs to get there about faster than you could go like 80 miles an hour, it should fly hmm. because above that, it takes energy to keep the vehicle on the ground, right? This is like the car has spoilers and whatnot, trying to press it down. 
So at that point, just make it, just make it fly. It'll get there. But that also describes the customer. It's like, this is a person who needs something moved, not a, above the speed of sound or something, but just fairly quickly. And those are the use cases where aircraft, any aircraft, makes sense. So, okay. All right. That is really good thinking. At 80 miles an hour, because at the, after that, the car starts to float a little bit. Because, it, the, it, because the item is urgent or perishable or, you know, you just need it very quickly. Okay, good. I now have a framework for beginning to understand the world of the drones. Thank you so much for coming out to the show, Star. It was so good to, to have you. This is really fun. I just learned something for once instead of like talking about product. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's, no. Oh, my yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but we talked Thank about Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, it's great. It's great. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you or with their craft, what's the right way? Our website has a contact form and that will be a good way to reach us. And what's the right Twitter account for people to follow? You can find us on Twitter, searching for the aircraft. All right, Star Simpson, you're the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Boy, wow. I will say, though, I've probably known Star on and off for many years. You know how a lot of times you're like, well, boy, I'm really surprised to see that person succeeding. I'm not that surprised. Not surprised at all. She's doing no. it. She's out there doing it. I want to go fly. It's just work. every every single, it's like every single thing she discussed. I'm like, that's a lot cooler than anything <laughs> I've ever done. Like just Oh, and then you glide. You glide your body to <laughs> LA. And mm, then you pilot the drones and deliver things to first responders. So people can live. Anyway, let's talk about React. No. Anyway, <laughs> if you need us, you need hello at postlight.com. Visit our website at postlight.com. Anything else people should know? I think that's it. Reach out. Thanks for listening. All right, let's get back to work. Thanks, Paul. Bye.